0: Good morning everyone, welcome to the great chill down today in the Antelope Valley versus the rest of the week. It is not supposed to break a hundred today. Also, my electronic devices tell me there is a flash flood warning for today from 12 to 9, so be on the lookout for that. I don't know where it's going to be. They said we're going to have a flash flood um, warning, so that'd be kind of cool. Um, Just glad glad you all could be here today. Uh, One of the things I asked for, like last week we prayed for Sal and and prayed for um, the condition going on with the fire in his house. The good news is if you saw his vehicle, he has it. The bad news is he hasn't washed it yet. So <laughs> he's going got to go get many layers of, of the forest, of the remnant of the forest off his vehicle. Um, one thing I ask you to do too this week is pray for our leaders. Um, there's a website, the Heritage Foundation. It's heritage.org. And it shows you a map of the United States and every county, every county. And it, you can click on your county or county relatives live in, and you can see how the virus is going. When you look at LA County, we are drastically reducing in the number of cases, drastically. The problem is our leaders don't care. They're more worried about wildfires. They've forgotten COVID. COVID can just, we can just linger how we are. They, they're not gonna change. So we need to pray for them. Uh, San Diego will be a big test, San Diego's due to come off and they said Sacramento is a black hole. They request information for or sent their plan in for how they want to function back to almost normal and nothing comes out of Sacramento. And so far we have seen that from every county, even the ones in the most rural that have not had any incidents whatsoever. They submit their plans to function and Sacramento is not responding. So let's just pray for them as a a body of believers. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just know that in all things you are to be praised. You are to be worshipped. And we just ask you, Father, knowing that that seasons are changing as we get close to um, the time when we will all be I'll be heading to Jerusalem. We just ask you, Father, that if it's not now, that you open the eyes of our leaders and realizes, realizing that people are severely struggling, business owners, people that cannot get to work, help them to have mercy on our fellow, our fellow Californians and just strive to, to open up and get back to our normal way of life. Amen. And I have to remind you guys that knowing what's going on, knowing how the Bible talks about times like this, whether it's actually the time or not, that we just understand what's going on. And we continue to be light to this world and talking to them. Now today, we're going to be starting to wind down this very powerful book of Ephesians. And then after today, there's going to be one more chapter left one more chapter and then we're going to move on to um, isaiah so today we're going to look at ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 33 25 through 33 and you know we are picking up we're still under the subheading of where al took us last where we're talking about spirit filled living and what this looks like so if you go back to like 20 and 21 and you see where um, paul's talking about living spirit filled in submission uh, to one another out of reverence or fear to christ and and then it continues on from there so last week we talked about um wives and and this week we're going to talk about um husbands and another another section that we're going to get to so let's look at the passage it says husband love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nurses it and cherishes it just as Christ does for the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Dear Holy Spirit, we want to thank you so much for this section of the Bible and how it refers to living with you full up in our lives. Holy Spirit, we're going to take a moment and we just want you to come down. Now we want everyone to just think of how their morning's gone. If they had that time of, of fellowship with you so we can just come praise Jesus being filled with you. And if not, we're going to take a moment and everyone's just going to be silent and think about how their mourning is gone and if they've confessed their sins and been filled with the spirit so we can come and as a body worship the word worship this passage help it to fill our lives and just spirit come down and fill us just wash everybody make them full of the holy spirit as we prepare to go through this word that, that Spirit talks about how we're to live with you in our life. Spirit, we thank you. We just want you to come now and fill this room and all your people in it and help us to be open-minded and open hearts for this vital passage on how to live. We thank you so much for it. It is so powerful. your precious name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to repeat myself and, and just remind you, that if you've gone through any other verse, any section of the Bible, this one is as powerful. In fact, verse 25 serves as almost like a drop-the-mic verse. It gives you everything condensed, and you can just walk off. If they would have had amplifiers, Paul could have just dropped it after he told the scribe what to write and, and walked away. It's a great summary of this entire section, and now we're going to move on in further detail of it now the Holy Spirit used this book Ephesians to to deliver or unveil many mysteries that were the Old Testament were basically veiled but now we see them opening up in Ephesians um, but like I said the Old Testament never unveiled them and you're saying what are they let's just take a quick walk through so chapter 1 It talks about his grace lavished upon us for forgiveness. This means the grace we receive is limitless and has been bestowed upon us through this spiritual understanding. This means we can go back and through his grace, we can actually see Jesus in the Old Testament we actually can see everything so you can look back as we go through isaiah you can see these four songs that are written to purely talk about jesus coming sacrificially to us in chapter two united in christ and each other Uh, no longer are we separated by class or culture as believers the jews and the gentiles have been united this may not seem much to us now but back then this was mind-blowing chapter three another one we are all heirs and partakers of the promise with god of the good news through jesus christ again we are not separated we are not distant and we are now heirs with christ again we've grown up with this and heard our whole lives in the first century church This was just like, what? So today we're going to see two more mysteries revealed. And I think you can guess what one is, but um, I'm going to show you what the other one is. And then we're going to look at this passage in three sections. In three sections, we're going to go through this. We're going to go through the first one. It's called, Men Love Your Brides. And that's in verse 25. Second section a little bit more lengthy is Jesus loves his bride and that's verses 26 through 32 And then the last section we're going to go through is man love your wife Man love your wife and that's in verse 33 So the first one men love your brides verse 325, 25 verse 25 it, the verse says husbands husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her now believe it or not verse 25 was a new thought that paul moved on to verse 25 the way it's written doesn't naturally flow from 22 to 24 not just in verse 25 today in this passage but what do we see as important Not just in verse 20. Let's look at the whole passage for a moment. What do we see as important? And remember, what I tell you is important is the most words used. So, for example, in 25 through 33, that's about 160 words. Love is used six times in this. Church is used ten times. Now, the way love is used here it means irrespective of merit or even to love the undeserving think about that for a moment. that's a little hard to even wrap your mind around and so this short verse is telling a husband that our love is to be ongoing and it is to be unconditional so get this as husbands you are to see and you are to seek the highest good in the one you love. Human wisdom does not say this. Human wisdom says you only respond if you're treated well, right? That's how we respond. You treat me well, I'll treat you well. God says you are to live and love regardless if you don't feel your needs are being met. Wow. In fact, both couples are to live and to love unconditionally and not negotiated how love is distributed. In our community group, we went over these passages and we talked about it. We said, you know, at first, you, the human wisdom says love is 50-50 and we're saying, no, it's, it's not 50-50. I told him a story how when I started at my job, I was not even married to Colleen for a year. And I was riding around with a, a guy that was telling me that he was in his, thir- in his 30th year of marriage. He's getting, I forget, like 33, 35, somewhere around there. And he said, Bill, the successful marriage and the reason we've been successful is we do everything 50-50. And I never really thought that before and it wasn't my wisdom that came out but i shared with him and i said well wouldn't it be better if marriage the good marriage was zero to 100 and i told my community group that he almost pulled over and asked me to get out of the car um it it, it never dawned on him and and then i shared another story is i have a cousin who uh, he's he's older i'm one of the youngest ones in between siblings and cousins so right now i think he's mid-seventies so he has children that are somewhat younger than I am but not a whole lot and his youngest daughter was married had two kids she became paralyzed from the neck down what could she do in the in the human wisdom the the man would say no I'm not doing anything for you you haven't fed our kids she could do nothing she offered nothing my cousin and his wife would be there during the day Monday through Friday, taking care of her while he was at work. But on the weekends, he took full care of her. And uh, she's not with us any longer. But there is the example of love. And so you may think, this is not real. God cannot be this serious. I am to love deeply regardless of my spouse's actions back? Yes. Yes. And like we said... Only through the Holy Spirit are people doing this. Only through the Holy Spirit. And you say, Bill, where is there proof of this? Show me proof. I don't believe it. Well, one of the first Old Testament books that we went through as a church was the book of Hosea. And in that book, God gives Hosea and gives us an example of how we treated God. He tells Hosea, you're going to go out and you're going to marry a prostitute. So that's what he did. And you're thinking, how could Hosea love this woman? And in humanness, I don't know how. But in the Holy Spirit, you can see how. Um, And you look, it wasn't a normal marriage. In fact, their kids had some of the worst names in history. and you, it wasn't, it wasn't pain-free. If you imagine you had to go out, your wife is this prostitute. She's not even doing it right. She's not even doing it right. She is not charging. She's paying. So you have to go bail her out at, at an auction to pay off her debt. So Hosea does this. Goes and redeems his wife. And that's a picture for us brings her back and he still loves her so the exhortation for husbands here is to love their wife and now like i said you've heard this for a while but but to the first century church this is our first mystery this was never said when you look back in rabbinical literature there is nothing that tells a man to love his wife when you look into the normal household codes, because the culture there, this Greco-Roman culture was very well thought out, very well written about, and they had these things called household codes. This is not in there. This is not even in the fine print. So as much as it baffles us, and we just know that that should happen because we've had the Bible for this long, here is the first mystery that husbands love your wives and it's no doubt that's why it's repeated three different times through this section and also we see it in the book of colossians saying the same thing paul was giving them a new charge to follow so for this young new testament church to hear that husbands are to actually love their wives like christ loves the church Folks, this was revolutionary, revolutionary. And like I said, it must have bared repeating because we see it two more times as we go through this. Second section, Jesus loves his bride. Jesus loves his bride. Verses 26 through 32. It says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as christ does the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and i am saying it refers to christ and the church boy i've enjoyed going through this in depth for as much as any passage i can remember this is just so much meat all in this section and so if you noticed i add the second half of the verse in 25 just to kind of bring this all together so men are given this commandment to love and then told how to mirror it and that's the same way christ loves so We are seeing this love from Christ is the purest form of love. It's the purest form. And we are to love our wives with this type of love. That's it. That's the requirement. We're done. Any questions? None? Okay, we'll go on. So we are seeing Paul repeating of what he said in chapter 5, verse 2 in verse 2 he tells us to become imitators of God and walk in love just just as Christ also loved and gave himself up for us an offering a sacrifice to God which was a frankrant aroma so we see this relationship between Christ And the husband as not headship over the wives but more of a sacrificial love the husband is to mimic Christ's powerful love for the church in which he took sinners out of their path of destruction and made them alive us made us alive in Christ and how much does he love the church how much does he love us Well, he gave himself up for us, guys. Christ took the initiative, and he handed himself over to be set upon the cross. Now, he said in John 10, John 10 verses 11, 15, and 17, that he is the good shepherd, and he laid down the life, his life, for the sheep. And then in John 15, 13, he said, there is no greater love than he who lays down his life for his friends. And then going back to what I talked about briefly, this fragrant aroma. By being obedient in this manner, we are being a fragrant aroma to God. So it's a word picture, this is. So in 2 Corinthians 2, 2, Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, it gives us this picture of Jesus leading this triumphant parade to God, ultimately to God, and everyone he loves behind him. And the smell of this portrayed, this parade is pleasing. So it ends up before the Father is just this fragrant aroma. He sees his son and everyone the sons brought to him. It's a beautiful picture. And how Paul got this, he used the imagery that we got and Al told us about earlier, this imagery of this Roman parade. So they've conquered someone and, you know, it wasn't within a week. So it could be years later, they're back in Rome and they're going to have this victory parade. Well, as they're marching to the emperor to show off their spoils, they had people in the crowd were lighting incense and also throwing very fragrant roses on the path. So as the horse hooves crushed them the air was just filled with beautiful smells. And that's the picture that Paul's showing us as, as Jesus leads us. And it's all cause to our obedience and our being faithful and living as the Spirit directs. So verse 26 in order that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. So Paul presents the goal or the purpose for Christ's love for the church by three clauses here. Number one, it tells us in 26 that, you know, he sanctified her. In verse 27, the second one, it says that he may present himself, present himself a more glorious church and then also in verse 27 it says that she might be holy and without blame might be holy and without blame so we see christ's initial purpose for the church is her sanctification just as we are redeemed and moving in our christian life through sanctification The church was purchased by Christ's death and sanctified. He came and died in order to demonstrate his love for us and set aside the church to God. So Christ's work on the cross was to both cleanse the church and sanctify her. And then in verse 26b it says, By the washing of water with the word. So the imagery we're to get from that verse is from the first century. There was a practice at that time that a bride, before her wedding, took a ceremonial bath. And then she was presented to the groom's family, or namely, the groom's father. So, and then we see an Old Testament imagery here. We see the how the washing was involved when we look at god and the israelites in ezekiel chapter 16. in ezekiel chapter 16. let's look at verses 8 through 13 and 16. so ezekiel 8 ezekiel 16 8 through 13. it says when i passed by you again and saw you behold you were at the age for love and i spread a corner of my garment over you and i covered your nakedness nakedness i made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you declares the lord god and you became mine then i bathed you in water and washed off your blood and from you and anointed you with oil i clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather i wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk, and I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck, and I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, and silk and embroidered cloth. So we see this promise from long ago, the church would be cleansed and sanctified by Christ and presented to him. And then the last part of verse 26 says, With the word. Again, like last week, we started off the message last week talking about the Bible and can we trust it. And we, we actually went over 1717 that said, Sanctify them in your word. Your word is true. And we went over, we talked about how Jesus is the word and God's word is true. So God's word and our and our knowledge and obedience concerning it leads to our further sanctification. Verse 27. And so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish verse 27 that he may present to himself a more glorious church like i mentioned earlier in the imagery of the first century the bride prepares herself for the bridegroom and he presents the bride to his father here christ is preparing the the bridegroom by sanctification and holiness So he presents her to himself. He wants the church to be presented to himself gloriously and not dirty, not filthy, not unprepared for the magnitude of the marriage supper of Christ. And of course the bride is his church. She is to be holy and without blame. No wrinkles, blotches or any other imperfections. But she is to be perfectly holy. And in verse twenty-eight, it says, "In the same way, husband should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself." So verses twenty-six through twenty-seven show us the standards. Show us the standards for loving our wives. Um, Now. We were probably too much in love with our future brides to stop and and really look and focus on the Bible to see what our responsibilities were going into marriage and how we're to love our brides. And you know what? I bet our actions in marriage demonstrate this. I know it's a big amen for me. I know I have made a whole lot of knucklehead mistakes in my marriage, but as we went over Christ love for the church was for her ultimate good and for our wives it's to be the same so why are we saying this again husband loves your wives we've already said it once i think because paul is showing us the importance of it and he hasn't said it for a couple other verses so he's making sure he repeats it and we are to love our wives unconditionally he wants to put out And it is our duty to the Lord to love her this way. So Paul is trying to emphasize how much you need to love her by comparing the love you have for yourself. The main point is, husbands, is your love for your wife is to be so second nature that it compares to how you love and take care of yourself. And we see in verse 29, it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Paul builds on verse 28 here by stressing that no one ever hated his own flesh, or we could say no one treated themselves as bad as they may treat other people. Let me say that again. So it's not only stressing that no one ever hate his own flesh, but we could say no one ever treats themselves the way or as bad as they may treat other people. And the word picture here is that of taking care of a baby, being nursed by their mother. Now, a mother doesn't just nurse her baby. While that's going on, there is such a beautiful picture of a mother you know, with their baby up to her breast, and it's just a great time of nourishing that baby and cherishing that bond. And that's another good picture word, is cherish, for husbands to cherish their wives. So we know Christ naturally, naturally takes care of his body, the church, having redeemed it. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12 and chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 he sealed his church in chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 he empowered it in chapter 1 19 through 23 1 19 through 23 and he brought it into one body chapter 2 verse 16 filled it with God's fullness we see that in 319, gifted it, gifted it in 4, 7 through 16 and loved it and sanctified it and we see that today in 525 through 26. Even even with all of our the body of the church's imperfection, Christ nurtures it and he takes and he takes good care of it. God is demonstrating this love that it cannot be aloof and it just doesn't do periodic check-ins. It's there all the time. I kind of find it sad when you think about people that tell you they're a Christian, but reading the Bible, studying the Word, hanging out with God's people, being in church is just not demonstrated in their lives. I think of a former boss I had when we were loading stuff up in his car, and his Bible was in the back, in the trunk. I asked him, why is your Bible in the trunk? And he goes, well, it's there, so when I get to church on Sunday, I can just get it out. I said, well, wait a minute, what do you do during the week? And he said, well, I like to think my Christianity is my own private business and none of yours. I went, gotcha, gotcha. I know exactly what that means. And, you know, to, to put this into today's passage, so it's like going into someone's house and you know they're married. You see a picture of their, their spouse on the wall and it's like, where are they? And they're saying, oh, I just love my spouse so much. I just love him. It's like, okay, where are they? You know, well, I don't know. Don't really talk to them much rarely ever see him but boy I love him it's like well boy I guess you do and I I bet you don't have any fights or anything Um, so it's just an empty it's just empty and it's not even really real and in verse 30 we see that because we are members of his body all this is happening and earlier in Ephesians Paul mentioned that the church is Christ's body He says this in chapter 1, verses 22, 23, and now, and also earlier in 523. But now he is replacing impersonal statements with the first person plural. And Paul is saying that he and the Ephesian Christians he's wrote this letter to are members of that body. And in 1 Corinthians 12, kind of what we went over last week, Paul says that while we all may have different gifts, we are all members of this body since we had the call and the indwelling of the Spirit. Verse 31 tells us, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul has told us husbands that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are to love them as we love our own bodies. Now, Paul makes it even more personal and says, husbands and wives, you really are of one body. And this verse is from 2.24, Genesis 2.24. And God was saying that Eve was one with Adam because she came from him. And because of that, therefore, all future marriages that the husband would leave his father and mother and cling to his wife or become one flesh with her. And how fitting, since Paul has told us that God wants us to love our wives as our own bodies, just as Christ loves the church and we are members of his body. So Paul ends this here with Genesis 12, 24, just because it is so fitting to talk about loving your wife as one body. And just as it was fitting to end Genesis twenty two twenty four after 223 so this compels us men to love our wives because we are one flesh with them verse 32 it says this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church so we spoke earlier of some of the other mysteries God uses Paul to reveal this is the second one in this passage the second one in this passage while again it's not maybe not be a mystery to us hopefully you've heard about this before um, as a believer this was revealed to the first century church at a time when they were used to being in a physical structure to worship God Jesus in John 4, 21 declared to the woman at the well. We see one of these veiled passages. He tells the woman in the well a time was coming where people would worship God anywhere and just not in Jerusalem. And then Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 8. He says, I desire that in every place, I desire that in every place, men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling without anger or quarreling so in the first century so while the first century was used to worshiping god in a building the revelation is that they are now the body of christ they are that building this was the ultimate mind blowing and the phrase says i am saying indicates that he's no longer talking about the man and the woman, but he's talking about Christ and the church. Paul is referring to this mystery of the union of Christ and the church, which is mentioned in 29 and 30. In verse 31, he quotes, "...the two shall become one," from Genesis two twenty-four for that union. Everyone would naturally assume that it's a regard to a physical union, Then Paul explains exactly what he meant. And what he meant, he was talking about the union of Christ and the church. This is the exhortation for a husband to aspire to loving his wife to this standard. This standard. But folks, you got to think about it. The church heard this letter in its entirety. And it's revolutionary all the way through and and they really had their minds blown when they got to this part like i said this letter would have been read in its entirety and been a total shock and to get more new mind-blowing stuff in the first century over the next few weeks we are we're going to cover chapter six but today had to simply stun all their sensibilities first the charge for a husband to love his wife, and now the relationship that shows Christ's love for the church, unified and one body. The body, the object of Christ's love, the Savior uniting with the church, and then being one forever. We take it for granted, but at this time it was revolutionary. So, One of the things I figure I want to do when I get to heaven is I want to go find the guy that read this letter to the Ephesians church and just find out how quiet it was afterwards. Because you know anything about the culture, um, it, it probably wasn't a quiet church to begin with. But I'm sure as people listen to this, they were stunned. So the third section we're going to go over is now man love your wife man love your wife verse 33 however let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband so I, reading this i i couldn't help just imagining how this went so i want you to picture something with me imagine paul writing about this huge mystery that's revealed in in verse 32 the big mystery world and salvation changing major major and then he moves on to verse 33 almost as a as a by as a, as, a, as i'm just in my mind it's like hey you know what i've mentioned this before i'm going to say it again um Almost as a reminder, again, to what he had mentioned before. I'll bet every Christian had been sitting there listening to verse 32, was just mind-numbing and reeling. But he writes, and it says, however, or you could say nevertheless, and he repeats the third time in this, but this time he uses the, the sense of singular. And it's done this way, For emphasis let each one of you love his wife and see that the wife that she respects her husband's so if we look at 33 closer it says husbands hey even you love your wife as yourself you are united with her in this life and in connection with Christ as a member of his body So husbands, we are to strictly follow Christ's pattern for loving his church. Wives, you are mentioned in the end here, and also mentioned in the singular for emphasis, that you should respect, or actually, the word here, and I guess they don't want to use it, could be better defined as fear. I think it was easier to use the word respect, but it has the same meaning as the word fear. The Bible says we are to fear God and be subject to him and learn his ways. And if we look at Ephesians 5.21, we are told to submit to one another. And the word here says reverence, but again, a better translation is fear. To submit to one another out of fear to Christ. Fear here does not mean sacred or I mean scared or afraid, but it is used to mean the word awe. Awe. And that's a tough thing to do. That's a tough thing to do, you bet. Men, our women are to treat us with awe and respect in despite of ourselves. Despite everything we do, they are to do that. So my challenge is, why not earn it? Why not earn it? Even though we can be slugs and, and Jesus says they still need to do it, why? Why don't we just earn it? And you say, Bill, how, how do we do this? How should we do this and why should we do this? And I'll give you five reasons. The first one is the best one. 1 Peter 3.7 1 Peter 3.7 says, love your wife as Christ loved the church, so your prayers aren't hindered. So your prayers aren't hindered. Ouch! You think about that for a moment. So likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered now Peter Peter wrote about Paul he said yep Paul says hard things but this mystery about loving your wife Peter fully got he fully got and he wrote this and he said women are fellow heirs with you So he got it, and he said by by messing up, your prayer life is being hindered. So in other words, he's telling you, stop being a jerk to your wife. That's what he's saying in the Greek. Number two, number two. Stay in communication with Jesus through his word and by prayer. Stay in the communication with Jesus through his word and by prayer. Men, what we are commanded to do is not easy. You will mess up. You might mess up this morning on the way to church. I remember some of the, the best fights we'd have were Sunday mornings. I think the best one was, I, I was probably not the nicest guy, and I was following out the door out of our garage, in, out of the side of the house into the garage, and the door closed in front of me, and at that moment, it knocked loose Dr. Pepper that was on the top shelf, and it all came down, and I am getting hit by Dr. Pepper in every different way you can imagine. So it's like, I get it. I get it. I didn't need to be baptized with Dr. Pepper, but I got it. Um, So by saying you'll mess up, though, it's not an excuse for you to say, yeah, I messed up. But it is a way for you to understand sanctification and the continual Path moving through it. And by you messing up and coming and talking to your family about it, it's a way to demonstrate to your wife and your children a humble spirit that seeks forgiveness and strives to follow Jesus. All right, number three. Number three. Report into your wife and children. where you are reading in the word and what you are learning. And then find out from them where they are. If you find out, oh, that air feels good. If you find out they are not doing anything, sit and read with them. Sit and read with them and talk with them about the importance of Christ. I tell you, kids don't come through the saving face of Jesus through osmosis. One of the things I learned early is is God doesn't have grandkids. They learn about Christ through their parents. They learn about other things through other people, but they're gonna find out about Christ through their parents. Um, Men, if you're not engaging, you are leaving it to your wife, and you are not leading You are shirking this responsibility. And remember what we learned last week. God will hold you accountable for your family. Just like he held Adam accountable for what took place in the garden. Even though Adam tried to blame the wife. God's going to hold you accountable. And then fourthly, fourthly, Satan desires... A broken or dysfunctional home oh yeah think about it if you aren't being obedient and seeking the lost, you are what I call a spiritual prisoner of war you are a spiritual prisoner of war Satan so loves this he loves it so by living with animosity towards other people Plays into his designs to keep you out of the race. To keep you, like Paul said, our life is like a race. Satan wants you on the infield licking your wounds, feeling sorry for how you were being you've been treated. He wants you there. He does not want you being effective for him. So seeking forgiveness or forgiving others is a vital, it is a vital aspect and continuing strong in your walk. And it shows us in second Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 2 10 through 11. Paul reminds us in our lives uh, reminds us that our lives are lived out before God. There's nothing hidden. we're lived out before God. So we need to forgive or to be forgiven, constantly and and face up to what we did and then move on if you're not satan wins and he wins a lot so that's one way you can avoid that then five one of the biggest things you can do for your family the biggest things is pray for them now not just your wife and the kids you see you need to leave that prayer legacy we talk about this a lot but I mean why not and you need to pray for your kids salvation as if your prayer was dependent on that taking place you need to pray that hard and why do I say that I don't want you just to pray for like I said the kids you see I want you to continue praying for kids you may never see, your kids' kids, their kids' kids, because what better picture, right? What better picture is for you to be in heaven? You're sitting there minding your own business, just having a great time, singing praises to God, and you get a tap on the shoulder, and you find out that a grandkid 10 years down the road Hundred 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 years down the road was saved by your prayer. (laughs) Wow, sorry about that. I almost made it through it. So your prayer for their salvations, hundreds of years beforehand, before they were even born, was already answered. Hmm. So if you think these points are too radical, or too much, just imagine how the ephesians believers felt and they probably said the same thing when they were being read this letter and told that they were the body of christ his bride the church amen dear jesus we just thank you so much for this word this powerful powerful passage that we sinners get to come together and share about, about how you want us to function in spirit living. And it can only be done through spirit living, by living in the Holy Spirit, not forgetting what your commands are, not putting off to the side and doing our own thing, but realizing every day we are on assignment for you and we are to follow your commands just be with us holy spirit just move on our lives continually help us to be transparent with our loved ones and open so they know how to pray for us and we know how to pray for one another just the magnitude of what we went through can be lost on us father because i know i've read ephesians Probably hundreds of times in my life but really you pouring it and opening up to me these past several months has just blown me away with the magnitude and the depth of what this means father I pray for the husbands and wives and and the singles that are looking for marriage in this church We know that, I know I, I look for it in my life, but I know so many times people can get married and not really look deep into the life of the person they're going to marry and ensure that they are demonstrating a spirit-filled life. I've seen too many times, like in my own mother-in-law's second marriage, father, where She took a man in his word, and the marriage was the finish line. It wasn't the starting block. Your goal for us is the marriage is the starting block, and death is the finish line. May we understand that we need to live this way so our children grow and see this reflected, see this acted out, learn and see us in the word, us praising you us showing honor to one another. And they want this life. They want this for themselves. Again, Jesus, thank you so much for this time that we can come and and just talk about you. Amen.